That's what we like to call nasal cleanse music right there. Just <laughs> just wash you right out, wake you up. Hello, everyone, and thank you for being here with episode number three of The Daily Ooh. News. Uh, I know, episode number three. It's very nice to be able to have Mike Daly back once again at Daily News 8 is where you can find him on social media. I'm at TSN underscore Marsh. And if you are listening to this, you're probably getting hyped for the Combine. You're going to watch the Combine live stream. CFL.ca is where you can go. Uh, they're going to stick me on camera and ask me to know everything about everybody, which I'm going to do my very best to do. If I uh, make a mispronounced name, if anything goes wrong, uh, blame Kyle Scott. He works at the CFL office and uh, he's behind the scenes. So you can give all of your shame to Kyle. No, I'm kidding. He's amazing. He's great. And uh, we're going to have lots of podcasts, by the way, coming out of this Combine weekend for you uh, as I'm going to basically be in the hotel where all of the league personnel people are. And I've got an open door policy with uh, with our podcasting unit. So we're going to record all sorts of fun stuff and then sprinkle that throughout the spring talking about leading into the 2022 CFL season. Before we start diving into all things around the combine and great memories that Mike Daly has of it. I want to let you know you can start your season off right with products from our partners at Fox 40. Outfit your coaching staff with custom logoed Fox 40 whistles, gear, coaching boards, and more. Visit fox40shop.com and use the code CFP15 at checkout. Get 15% off of your entire order. Mike, what year were you in the combine? Was it 12? 13. I'm not that old. Give me at okay. least a year more, you know? <laughs> um, I, yeah, 2013 was my combine year. It's funny because I do, I go back through sometimes and look at different positional groups and the archive of information that I have to try and sort through how modern guys stack up from each year. And sometimes I stumble into names that I either know or I played with or otherwise. <laughs> and it's it's almost like... I feel almost dirty looking at because I'm like, oh, I don't want to judge this guy. But then, <laughs> and then I see the way that the performance were again. I'm like, oh, you know, that's pretty good. I'm like, that's that's nice. And I remember yours when I put your chart together at the end of combine testing. I was like, man, people sleeping on daily is like you might watch you and think flying around and making plays in the football. But I'm like, there's a reason why you're flying around. I'm like, because the speed's good and the change of direction's good and the like all of these little things. How did you feel? when you came out of your combine weekend, because I know that you have always been harder on yourself than you need to be. Yeah, um, definitely. And I think, you know, in order to be, a, you know, successful in this is you kind of have to have this uh, mix of a huge ego, but also incredible self-doubt. So like it's this weird, it's this weird mix, right? But man, we gotta felt, do a whole episode on that. Like just the psychology of huge ego and what was the other part you mentioned? Self-doubt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Okay, sorry. I, well, I had to, you know, to go off that, I had Larry Dean actually tell me one of the smartest things that I heard. He was like, Listen, football is the highest highs and the lowest lows. And uh, the amount of people I've told after that is is incredible because it was it just kind of stuck with me but anyway after the combine i'll never forget this because you asked how i felt mike de crochet who we both played with and myself after the combine because we were training together went to mcdonald's and we got like i like a high school version order of <laughs> mcdonald's and i'll tell you what we were you know you go up to this thing, you're like, I'm going to eat clean. I'm going to get, you know, jacked. I'm going to get fast, all this kind of stuff. And so you're like, once you've done it and it's all done, you're like, oh, 
finally, you know what I mean? Over this combine stuff, it's stressing me out for really like two years if you include East West plus the combine. Then you go to McDonald's, you order, you know, three three to four double cheeseburgers, three to four junior chickens, three to four ranch wraps. You order like four McFlurries and we're driving home. And what you forget is that like, you know, back in university or high school at that time, you could fire those things back, fire back a full pizza, be fine. But when you've been training as hard as you can, eating healthy, and then you fire McDonald's, like that much McDonald's in you, we made it about halfway home. So I would have been from, we were in Toronto to Hamilton. So we made it probably like halfway down the 403 and we had to pull over because that was running out of us like a morning <laughs> coffee. Man. It, it was bad. It was really bad, but that's how we felt. We were so jacked up. We went straight to McDonald's and then it was just not very fun for the rest that's of the day. Amazing. I have promised people uh, on episode one that this show will never be about me comparing my lackluster playing days to Mike's 10 year career in the CFL. But I do have a, a relation point to that. You remember the bod pod epic master, yeah. right? Where yeah. you would, you would body measure your yeah, yeah, body mass index and your body fat percentage. And I remember when I was training for the East West bowl in 2013, that I, uh, <laughs> I got my bod pod assessment done like the week before. So same thing, like we're training, we're running endlessly. We're doing speed endurance with Steve Lidstone up on the track at McMaster. And it's honestly, I think the best shape I've ever been in my whole life was going into that East West. And so this is the spring of 2013 and we get the bod pod assessment done. And I remember, and <laughs> you know, I'm not even going to mention his name, but a defensive back who went from McMaster in that same East West bowl with me, uh, that may or may not have played field corner in the defense that Mike Daly was free safetying for a significant period of time. Uh, his, bo- his body fat percentage was like 17%. Like it just came back at like an obscene rate. And it was like, you've been training with us all. What the hell is going on? Like, how is that? Mine came back, shit you not, could not believe it. 3.5%. Like, oh God, he almost disappeared. Like I came back as Michael Jordan in his prime. Like, <laughs> Like, like, I'm going to kill this East West. I'm going to yeah, do fantastic. But, but, but as soon as I, and I obviously didn't kill the combine, I was terrible. But uh, <laughs> I used to always joke, though, because I was the first person at that East West Bowl in London to run the 40, that they had this digital video board that was up there. And there was a, a shining moment in my life where I was at the top of the 40-yard dash overall uh, register because I was wearing Jersey number two and we didn't have anybody wearing number one. And then right after me was Austin Kennedy from Windsor and he ran, he killed my 40 time, of course. And I was like, well, you know, one shining moment once upon a time. But when I did that bod pot at 3.5%, I went to the heart of Westdale in Hamilton to Subway and I got a foot long meatball marinara with sun chips. And I put the chips in the sandwich just to have that little crunch along with the meat and it was the exact same thing it was like it's not as though we are starving supermodels but it's like it puts this stress on you where there's this natural release of i need comfort food because i've just been murdering my body to try and get ready for this right yeah it's and that's exactly what it is it's what edge can i get and usually the first thing you think of is you know eating healthy but the problem is is your students at the time yeah so it's not like you have a ton of money to just sink into you know, some sort of nutritionist that'll say, okay, you can eat healthy, but eat this and this. It's like, no, eating healthy now is like salads and, you know, maybe half the amount of rice and just chicken. And and then you realize 
damn, I'm disappearing. I need to actually eat normally so that my body is acting normal. And that's why when we had the McDonald's, it was a disaster. This is yeah, such a great story. Um, this is such a a bit of a detour, but I just want to ask you this because I think you were in the same presentation that I was um, at McMaster where it was in a lecture hall and it was for all varsity athletes. It was health, nutrition, well-being. Do you remember this? Like big lecture hall. Um, I want to say in like the DeGroote Center for Science, if I'm not mistaken. And I remember there were three or four things. It was one of those things when you're a student athlete that they told you to go and it was going to be on sports nutrition. And you were like, whatever, like I, I, we have to go, we have to show face. And I remember sitting in that presentation and being like, I don't know anything. And there were some things that I, I took away from that when it came to just basic staples of how I approach things going forward. I was never perfect. I was never great at it while I was playing compared to where I am now. Um, but what did you take from your university playing days when it came to nutrition, uh, handling like drinking or like, was there a tidbit or something that you figured out that you learned? Cause for me, the one that shook me from that presentation was basically they said, listen, we're not idiots. We know you guys are going to drink. You're in university. You're going to go out and you're going to have a good time. They said, if you're going to drink, what we want you to do is drink the high percentage clear stuff. I was like, sorry. They're like, they're like, sure. The tequilas and the vodka. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) They're like the tequilas and the vodkas of the world. I'm like, I don't feel like you should be suggesting that to university because I was always thinking growing up as a football player. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna lay low tonight. Not gonna hurt my body. Just have a couple of beers. And in this presentation, they're like, no, beers are the thing that's actually slowing down your metabolism and hurting your digestive system and uh, hurting your ability to burn fat for 36 hours after you have. It was like if you have the high percentage clear stuff, it's quick in. It's quick out and it's easier for your liver to be able to process and it won't hurt you as much. And I remember hearing that and I'm like, that was such a truth bomb for me that I didn't even understand. Now I didn't listen to it. I love beer. Uh, but, <laughs> but being able to hear that shook me. Was there anything like that for you when you were kind of coming up and understanding how to treat your body better? Well, the, the thing that hit me the most was in my first year, you know, going from living at home to then living by yourself in a, in a, a student house is, that you actually have to cook. Yep. Like you can't, you can't just forget to eat. I lost, I think it was 10 pounds in my first year. You lost yeah, was, weight. Yeah. Like quite a bit. And I know everyone talks about this freshman 15, but I lived in a student house. So I wasn't on campus. Uh, and then I'd for like, I had never really cooked on my own. So I ended up losing about 10 pounds. So, you know, after my first year, it was just trying to get all that back because I was, I was dying. I think I ended up weighing that like, 170 like just over 170 I was like ah this isn't good I can't I can't play this so then it was really just not the fact of like picking something that you know eating a certain thing it was just that I gotta cook and then what I ended up doing was just cooking mass amounts and having leftovers and that was the biggest thing is just making sure the leftovers are there but yeah the only time the only time I really like stopped drinking like what you were talking about was during the combine training because that was the time where it was like okay this is starting to become a real thing for me Mm -hmm. right i'm going to try to really focus in on this and you know cut back on the drinking now mind you it still happened every now and then it's hard it's hard not to right you got a bunch of living with a bunch of buddies and stuff like that but that was probably the first time where i was like okay i should stop drinking and i remember that presentation because i would be like okay but if i am it's vodka waters oh. and then I should be all right. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? I should, 
and I'll be ready to train again. You know, I think is just as long as you wake up and you get right back to the training. And if you drank the night before, make sure you get up and get going again. But and, yeah, that was probably the hardest thing was cooking. That was yeah. probably my, my biggest. I was going to say now week. we're, uh, now we're dads and we just have a hard time getting out of bed in general. Um, but the, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the idea of, of the differences between living on campus and living off on, on the impact it had in your body is literally in this zoom because you lived off campus, right? Student house. And you lost 10 pounds. I lived on campus. I had $2,000 worth of food, whatever it was on this card. And I could go and get whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. And that freedom and the first time being out of the house and not really truly understanding what my body needs, how to take care of it, when to eat, uh, you know, it was like, there was a vegetarian place that was on campus and you could go there and it was just like sloppy rice with marinara sauce and maybe like a chicken breast in it. And it was like, I, this isn't good. Or you could go and get basically the McMaster kitchen version of a, of a, uh, an egg McMuffin, right. An egg Mac is what yeah. they called it. And it was like, I, I'm not kidding you, Mike in first year, I would eat two or three Egg Macs and <laughs> this is so bad, but it's so funny to look back and just think about how stupid first years can be when it comes to dealing with their bodies. We had, we would just buy myself and Ben O'Connor, who was my roommate in first year on campus. We would buy a 40 pack of Timbits <laughs> and we would keep them in the mini fridge that was in our room. And essentially that was dessert. So it was like, you'd eat all these Egg Macs which are just super high and all sorts of right. junk. I had and eggs, then, it's healthy. Yeah, and then you, exactly. And then you would just crush, so I, you would crush, you know, five, six Timbits as your dessert. Like that was a thing. And it's like, that's <laughs> not I, a, still, I still do that. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> but at the time it's like, I don't know, man. It, it, looking back on that, it's amazing. And for me, like when I said, you lost weight, I went from 190 to literally 205. Like I went, the, the full 15 and then in the spring i just looked at myself in a mirror and i'm like oh Damn. shit <laughs> this i'm like this, this cannot can't be a thing right so it has to change so you go through all the nutrition you go through some of the learnings and the ups and the downs and like you say you put your body up against a grindstone for two years to get yourself ready tell me about your cfl combine experience tell me about um you know where <laughs> the excitement level, getting there. I want to know the ins and the outs of this as people are listening on the Saturday of the National Combine. Yeah, the the biggest thing is when, you know, you have a couple good seasons and the East-West year is really the time where it's like, okay, it looks like I could probably do something with this, right? Like there's, you know, you going through, you're just trying to do well in your position at your school. You're not really thinking about everything else. And then when you get that East-West, invite that's kind of opens your mind to the, to the whole combine world but at that point you don't really have a ton of time to train so you can't you can focus on some of the steps of the drills and all that kind of stuff but really you're just trying to learn how to train for combines because it's two completely different things that's the biggest thing i know when you're training for a combine or you're training for football it is two completely different things because the combine is is like learning a dance right you need to know how many steps is it going to take in my pro agility? I need, you know, three steps and then I have to do this technique and three steps and then do this technique. And you just have to repeatedly train that over and over and over and over again, where you're like, I'm not even working out. All I'm doing is doing these dances up, you know what I mean? Doing my starts a hundred times. And I remember, so East West, 
was the first time where I was like, okay, I can kind of see. And then when you get to the national combine or you get that invite to the national combine, it's like an excitement. And then it's a, uh, oh shit, I, I got to be ready. Right. So then you just go into pretty much two days. And to start, it was with Steve Lidstone, who was at Mac. And I remember, you know, you'd wake up early, you come in, you do those runs and the dance steps, essentially in the morning, go to class, try to eat, come back and work out in the afternoon or at night. And it was that for since the end of the season, all the way up to the combine. So that was probably the hardest part was that it was just a constant dance steps, workout, dance steps, workout, dance steps, workout. And I'll never forget when we were done the combine, that was what I was most happy about was that how I can just go train for football. Yeah. You know what I mean? And completely forget all these dance steps, all these little, these little tricks and how to cheat the system and whatever you can do, right. To, to get a little edge and be like, okay, now I can become a football player again, because I'm not doing, you know, like coaches say the underwear Olympics, which is exactly what it is. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, you know, talking, I don't want to jump too far ahead on this because I'd like to get your thoughts on kind of like showing up and some of the hype and getting your measurements or what was memorable for you from all of that. But um, hearing you talk about the relief of knowing that you were done and you could actually focus on football. For me, the 40 yard dash is always the, because I I was slow. So I I love the idea when I ran East West, I knew I wasn't going to play in CFL. When I ran that East West 40 and I joked about, you know, being at the top of the board for 10 seconds until Austin Kennedy passed me. But I knew that was the last 40 yard dash I would ever run that would ever have consequences. And it was such a release for me. And honestly, there's that probably tells you about the mentality I had and why I was never a professional athlete, because there are guys that will go into the 40 yard dash and say, I'm going to kill this. And I want, I'll run this eight times if they want me to, to try and shave a quarter of a millisecond off of my time. For me, I was like, let me run this and get this shit over. Like, I am done with doing this. I don't want to be judged by this. I want to be judged by my play, by my football, by my brain, by my processing. But it was like, well, you're going to be, but you also have to show a base level of athleticism. And for me, that's what the combine is, is showing people here's the athleticism. Now they can move forward. Because I'm telling you, when I put together the combine charts on guys, nobody gets drafted who is below the 50 percentile mark on their combine score. Literally, if you're below average athlete, they don't, they just don't draft you. They don't look, it doesn't matter how good you are at football. If you're below that 50 mark, I forget about you. Teams forget about, and I don't know if it's a steadfast rule for them, but you have to show that base level and the mentality of that 40 for me, knowing that it was over. I'm wondering for you, what is the, the relationship that you have with the 40 and the, specifically the 40 at the National Combine, where you've got all these logos and colors and teams, people sitting at the end with a stopwatch ready to judge your entire life. Yeah, well, you know, going into it that, you know, there's all these other tests, but the 40s what matters, especially being a DB receiver, any sort of skill position. I mean, even if you're looking at, you know, linebackers too, D linemen, the only one that, you know, the only ones that can get away with a 40 not really mattering as an alignment you know what i mean those are the only guys that are like ah 40 whatever but for everybody else the 40 is that's what the combine is you know what i mean when you're preparing for the combine and i'm talking about these dance steps i'm saying monday wednesday friday was 40 and then you sprinkle in all the other combine drills in between that throughout the week but you focus that much on the 40 and for me it was you know i knew i would do 
pretty well. I knew I wasn't going to be the top of the leaderboard, but I knew I'd do pretty well. And I knew I just had to run like a, a, a better than average time and try to, I was just focused on beating who was in my class, mm. right? How do I beat guys that are in my class so that I shine above these guys in the draft? And I remember sitting there and I got pretty excited about it actually, because I, you know, Steve Lidstone, who was our head trainer at the time, he was always measuring. He was always measuring, you know, 10 yards split and then our forties when we would decide to run them and he would have the track coaches come in and help us out. So I remember getting pretty excited because throughout the training, I actually saw my, you know, 10 yard split going down and my 40 yard dash time going down. And I was getting pretty excited, right? I was, oh, this is working. This is panning out for me. And, you know, once you get to it, you just want to make sure it's almost like when you hear basketball players talk about free throws, you know what I mean? You have, you have this little ritual you go through and you've done it so many times that it doesn't matter how big the spotlight is or not. You just go up and you do your ritual. And that's kind of what you end up getting your mindset into. I'm not sure if everybody was like that, but I got into this mindset where it was like, oh, I'm just back at training. I'm better at my 40, getting through my ritual. Here we go. It doesn't matter who's down there, who's holding the stopwatch. I'm going to get in, run it like you are supposed to run it, or at least I was training, and let the cards fall where they may. So that was... It, it is nerve wracking because that is the test that matters the most. And for these guys that are training right now for it, that's what they're looking at. You know what I mean? And I'm sure coaches could go in there and, you know, if you ask them, they could say, ah, scrap the L drill, uh, scrap all this other stuff, but let's keep the 40 just because I want to see a, a fast guy versus a slow guy. How much of, and I, and I don't know if this is more than just the 40, but for you, how much of the 40 is, um, do you think that evaluators actually want to see the pure speed versus the mentality? Like somebody who's able to go into that pressure cooker and still lay down a fast time, despite all of the challenges that we're talking about. Cause for me, I feel like they care just as much. It's almost like a piece of the interview process where it's like, if we see that you're fast on game film, yeah, we want to see you run fast, but if we're expecting you to be fast, can you also be fast? Cause that will tell them something about players as well, or at least, in the over-evaluation process that is a combine setting, I feel like that's something that they get a little bit of information on. Yeah. And, you know, I've actually had these conversations with, you know, Drew Alamang of the Ticats, who kind of runs a lot of this combine, this Canadian scouting stuff, right? Like he's kind of the head of it. And what he had told me actually was, you know, we kind of know what their 40 times are going to be before they even come. Because we can see it on film. We just want to make sure it matches up. So what you had touched on before with the combine is it was just kind of like, you know, the com- the combine as a whole is just for these coaches and scouts to look and say, okay, this guy's working for it. You know what I mean? This guy's putting in the work. He's, you know, he's strong. He's getting that, whatever that base level number is. Right. But they, they already know about you going into there. They're, that's their job. Mm-hmm. So all they're trying to do is match up that game film with the 40 time, I don't know how much of it would be the mentality part of it. Like, you know, if you're fast, make sure you're fast. I think they expect, okay, if you're fast on film and you run a fast time, great. If you're fast on film and you run just slightly slower than what we thought, well, they're still going to lean over toward the film and say, oh shit, he plays fast. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think the scary part is where if you look slow on film, 
and then you run fast, that's almost worse than looking fast on film and running slower because that just means you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Right. So I think it's that weird balancing act that they have to do between seeing it on film and then what the number says. But like I said, Drew, especially, you know, who I was going to, he was like, yeah, we kind of know already. We just want to make sure it matches up. Um, you mentioned the idea of fear uh, in that answer. What what was the part of the combine process that had you scared? Was there anything at any point, any test, any specific situation that you were just like, I don't feel ready for this. I, I don't want to make an ass of myself. Um, no, no time specifically other than exactly what you said. I wanted to not make an ass of myself, but that happened as soon as the invite was there. So I think, like I said, I, at the beginning of this, this episode is, you know, you have to have an intense amount of ego, but so much self doubt that as soon as you get that invite, you go, I cannot make a fool of myself. Mm. You know what I mean? I can't go to this and be slow. I can't go to this and shit the bed. I can't, you know what I mean? I can't do that. And that's where the fear is. But once you're there, you know, it's the old Mike Tyson quote, you, you're scared of the guy until you get closer to the ring. And then when you're into the ring, you're a god. And that's exactly what it was, is you get in there and you just feel like, you know what, I prepared. I know all my steps. I've done this before. I'm just going to go out here, let the cards lay where they may. The only time that I will say where I was like, okay, what the hell is going on here? And I wasn't prepared for was they... Before your bench press, they, at least for us, we were in the hotel conference room and we come out for our weight and our height. Nobody had told me this before, but they give you like spandex t-shirt, all that kind of stuff. They give you, and they're like, okay, everybody get down to your spandex and then you're going to walk out and you're going to take your weight and your height. So I'm like, okay, whatever, drop down to my spandex. You know what I mean? Roll my shorts up. And at this time, like, Listen, I can play football. I can run around. I know I can hit guys. But if I take all my clothes off, you'll say, okay, he's just a skinny guy out there. You know what I mean? So I'm like, okay, get out there. As soon as I step through the curtains for the weight and the height, every scout, every coach, like I'm, you know, Justin Bieber at a concert. And I'm up on this raised, on this raised stage with spotlights. And I'm walking out here onto this, like, small little scale that's in front of everybody and everyone's got clipboards and pens out and I'm walking up and I get onto the scale like uh Mike Daly 185 I'm like shit that's not a good start <laughs> I'm sitting there looking at everybody going what the hell are these guys writing down right now uh yeah you know bottom left sixth ab is not showing uh, not many veins. Yeah. It was like, what the hell is going on here? What is anybody gathering from this right now? I'm sitting out there just being like, well, I'm pretty much naked and there's 40 people just staring at me here. I would love, see you later. I would love the idea of Mike just like backing up and then just doing the Arnold where it's like, you're pressing into your own try <laughs> and trying to extend your tricep to be like, I'm working on this boy. See a little bump there. Yeah. It's the thing. And like, so what we started doing is everybody in the back that was, going out for these once we saw what was going on we're ripping off push-ups and sit-ups <laughs> in the back <laughs> so you can look swole as we're coming out there because you're like this might mean just as much as the 40 who knows i'm gonna get swole for this and you just start doing yeah. it that was the one where you're like that's when you started thinking like what is going on here 
yeah, I mean, the idea of the spotlights and the stage and all of that stuff, I feel like is, is truly terrifying. Like that is that is legit really scary. But I do want to um, just do this really quickly to try and embarrass Mike. I don't know. I just pulled up random NFL films music. We'll see what we end up getting here. Uh, oh, this is good. Yeah. <laughs> all right, here we go. Mike Daly's combine numbers. According Ooh. according to my archive. Let's get it. Six foot even and half an inch. Did they round up or I was gonna say round up or down on that bad boy, because I feel like No, I think that's I think that's dead on, but I probably I'm probably like raised up, you know, you raise up a little bit in your shoes and okay. like I said, everything's a little cheating. Okay, so six foot one hundred eighty one pounds of Whoa, pure muscle. Yeah. One eighty one. Hands Baby. Here we go. Uh, nine and a half inches. What's that quarterback wise? Because I know they always I think, talk about. I think that's, that's good, right? I actually wrote an article on CFL.ca about hand size relative to body size, and it was weird um, because the only guys that were massive hands and massive bodies relative to all the other quarterbacks in the history of CFL combines: Ben Shaptelain, Eric Glavick, and Kyle Quinlan. And Asher yeah. Hastings, actually. Asher Hastings was in, like, the 99th percentile for hand size, which... Oh. <laughs> and what I mean by that, of course, is that he, he, he has the all-time record for touchdown passes in U-sports football. He tracked down Chris Flynn's record, so if you have big hands, you can be an excellent football player. Uh, yeah. Arm length for Mike Daly, uh, 31 and a half inches which is uh, just above average. So your 10-yard split, Mike, was, was 169. 169. Okay. I don't know if that's good anymore. Um, I will, I'll, I'll let you know where you slot in the history of the CFL Combine on all of these in a second. Um, your, right, 20, your 20 yard was 281, and your 40 time officially was 481. Okay? Oof. <laughs> you th- eh, I mean, it's not that bad. Also, coming from me, whatever. Um, Vert was 35. Yo, that's a good yeah, number. Yeah, 35. Uh, Broad was nine feet three inches. Shuttle was 422. And the three cone was 715. So, Mike Daly, uh, and again, these numbers, if you don't know how percentiles work, uh, zero to 100, the higher the number, the better he is. You were in the 78th percentile in the history of defensive backs at the combine for height. Okay, so you're, you're a tall, <laughs> you're a tall dude. Um, you, you were talking about being a little bit light. You were in the 16th percentile for oof. weight, for weight. It was like, Ooh. Um, and then yeah, your, your cool. hand and your arm were both 78th and 77th percentile. Your 10 yard was in the 36th percentile. Mike, Mike, against Not the good. odds, you've had a hell of a Not career. Um, <laughs> your 20 yard was also in the 36th percentile, but then yeah. you did improve. 41st percentile on the 40 yard dash. How about that? All right, long strider. Uh, long strider. I heard that with my receiving, uh, I had a receiving scouting done on me when I was scout team receiver last couple of years. Really? Long strider. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Uh, your vert, like I said, pretty good 35 inches was in the 68th percentile. Uh, mm-hmm. Your broad was in the 26th. Your shuttle, your shuttle was in the 78th. Damn, that was a Let's quick, go. that was a quick time. That's a good one. Uh, and your three cone was in the 59th. So overall, I have you at a combine workout score. You know how I said that if you're below 50, you don't get drafted? Yeah. 50.21. Let's go. 
That's what I mean. You just got to taste. C's get degrees. <laughs> uh, so that's, that is what we are talking about, though, in terms of, hey, show them the athleticism. Because let's be real, like your film spoke for itself. Like that was the reason that you got drafted, right? It was your ability to play the football, um, jump routes, understand reading routes, like playing in a Greg Knox defense. Like that, that was the, the combine was important for you, but it was not the end all be all of the reason why you ended up in the league, correct? Right. And I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, like I said, you just try to maximize what you can in those drills. But the cool thing about the CFL combine is you can go from those combine drills to putting pads on. Yep. And, you know, all those numbers that you're saying, I, I forgot most of them. But I, what I do remember is how I did in those drills. And I think that's the coolest part of a combine and how we do it because what you do is then you put those pads on and you see kind of who has that mentality, right? And if you want to look at all these good players that last throughout the, the CFL, it's it's having this like, you know, you hear about it, this dog mentality all the time. Guys that are just going to fight. Guys that are going to be, you know, borderline assholes is really what it comes down yeah. to. And I think that's the coolest part because you can, you know, put up whatever numbers you have. You can show film which they'll be able to see some of that mentality on film. But then you go in there in that high stress moment against guys you haven't really, some you haven't played against at all, mm -hmm. others you have. And okay, are you going to turn it on and say, you know what, I'm going to win every rep? Or are you just going to get through all that kind of stuff? And I think that's the biggest thing about those on-field drills is it's, okay, are these guys just getting through? Are they just trying to get past this combine? Or are they trying to like really earn a job here? You yeah. know what I mean? And that's the coolest thing I think that the CFL does is those kind of on-field combine drills as opposed to, you know, the NFL like you would see. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel so spoiled every year to be on the microphone when we're watching people actually play football. And it's like live reps and competitive. And thank God that we haven't had serious injuries because in football, there's serious injuries. But we've avoided a lot of that through national combines, which during the actual football session, you know, somebody might hurt their shoulder benching or something like that. But um, to be able to to watch guys get after it. And to your point, for, again, from a media perspective, I get so excited when I watch somebody on film and I they have a very certain skill set. Like they have something that I really like about their game. And I see them put pads on and that shows up at the national combine, like a really random obscure reference. But Justin Lawrence, who just signed with the Argonauts in free agency, was drafted by the Calgary Stampeders, played for the University of Alberta Golden Bears. He when I put on his film back in, I don't even know, probably would have been like three years ago at this point, more, maybe even more. Um, he was just more physical than everybody. He was a bit of a bowling ball as a body type. I think he might have won the bench press that year, but he was so physical that he'd be like, you know, quick off the ball and he'd pull around and he would see a defensive end and bang, he just like slam under the ground. Then he would stay on his feet, get to the second level, will linebacker toss him and start chasing for the free safety. And I'm watching, I'm like, what the hell is this guy? He was just so high energy and so physical that when he went to the national combine, his body type and his testing, it was out of the bench was not, it was nothing to write home about but he would put the pads on and I started talking to people as I'm wandering around during that session with the, with the actual football pads and the helmet on. And people are like, this guy is making himself money. Like he's actually getting himself an opportunity to play in the CFL. And sure enough, here he is now as a name that if you're a Stan Peters fan, you've known him because he's filled in and he's been an important part of their rotation at various points. And it all starts from showing that you can transition from whatever you accomplished in your university career 
carry it into the combine, get your shot and make the most of your shot. Yeah. And that's, that's the biggest thing. And, you know, you, you talk about not having any injuries at the combine. And I wonder if that's, you know, maybe we've been lucky at these combines and nobody's really had this injury, but it'd be interesting to see if somebody really injured themselves during these drills, if that would change it. Cause I don't want it to be changed. No, I like the way they do it. It is, it is the most important part. So I'm talking about the 40 leading up to the combine, all that kind of stuff. But the craziest thing is that while you're doing all these combine drills, you better not be getting run rusty on your, you know, your individual skills. So you're trying to do all these, like for me, one-on-ones, finding receivers, pulling people in. You're trying to do all these because you're like, I can't be rusty on this. I need to be able to kill these drills as well. And to have that taken out of a combine, if it's like an injury or something, I just hope it never really happens. You know what I mean? First of all, you don't want to see a guy get hurt that close to being drafted because it is a huge, huge risk, right? Getting out there and hurting yourself right before a draft. Your teams are probably not going to pick you up unless you're an absolute stud, yeah. right? And, you know, I hope it doesn't happen, but it, it'd be interesting to see if it, you know, as this goes on and as the CFL grows and there's more money put into it, do you think guys will start sitting out of these combines? Do you think the, you know what I mean? Do you yeah. think they'll get nervous of it? Like, cause I, I think we've already seen some of that. Like there's a lot of players that decide to do pro days and then they do their testing numbers and then they don't necessarily go out and actually put on anything more than shorts and a t-shirt and run around. And again, I totally get it. The question for me to your point is there's been a trend even in the NCAA of, I'm not even playing in a real football game. Like I'm not, I'm sitting out the bowl game because my body is more important and I have money that is. And I think um, I forget the name of of the quarterback, but Matt Corral maybe from uh, Ole Miss um, that hurt himself in his bowl game. And I love, he was kind of counterculture. He got injured in his bowl game. He came out and he said, I wouldn't change anything. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm injured. This is going to hurt my draft stock perhaps, but I was doing what I loved with people that I wanted to, to appreciate by playing with them. And, um, yeah, the, the idea of sitting at the combine, you don't have that pull at the heartstrings of I'm doing this for people I care about. It's it's you like it's an individual thing. So uh, I love seeing people compete. I think that's why the CFL combine is as good as any combine in the in, in the pro sports landscape, because competition really does come out in these one on one reps. I, there's one moment I think back to. Uh, I think we were in Regina where. Darius Bledek, uh, who I think, yeah, he's still with the Argonauts. Um, he started out in Saskatchewan, signed with the Argos and free agency offensive lineman. He was from Bethune-Cookman, and I didn't know a lot about him other than big body. And anytime you have an NCAA player that's coming up who's played against the University of Miami and uh, Clemson and these different places, um, like Isaac Adeyemi Berglund's another one like that, where he was coming out of like southeastern Louisiana. But he had game film where he had two sacks on Joe Burrow against LSU. And it was like, okay, now this guy's coming to the national combine or he was invited to go because we had that COVID year. But you see these names and you want to find out, okay, what are they about? And for me, Darius Bledek, he got beat in a one-on-one rep at the national combine in Regina. And he ran back to the line of scrimmage and like snapped his helmet back up and started screaming like, come on, come again, let's go again, let's go. And it was like, yeah, sometimes offensive linemen do that and it's just dumb, but, but he, but he dominated the next rep. And I was thinking, you know what? Like there were two ways to approach what just happened to him, get beaten a one-on-one, drop your head, walk back and wait five minutes until you get your next rep or do what he did, which 
if you're a team and you want a nasty physical competitor on your offensive line, like th- that sells you, that sells you to people. It's these little moments at combines too, that, you know, Mike, where little competitive moments, little comments that are made from coaches or in the interview pro that's the other thing, actually, before we wrap this up, I wanted to ask you about the interview process. Um, that seems terrifying. Yeah. That's, you have no idea what you're getting yourself in. So, <laughs> and there's no <laughs> like guidelines, none, none at all. So it's like, okay, these teams want to interview you. You have it at, you know, you know, Hamilton at this time, Montreal at this time, Toronto at this time, BC at, and you're just bouncing around between these hotel rooms, asking guys as you're going, Hey, what's, what's that like? What kind of questions are they asking? So the one I remember the most, and, you know, actually we talked about Vinny Magri, he was in Montreal at this time. Hmm. So I, uh, I head in there and Jim Pop was the GM and, you know, I had been so focused on doing well um, at the combine, getting ready for my test that I go in there and, you know, I probably didn't study as much as I should have on these coaches, but I was like, why am I going to need to know, you know, all these coaches names? So I sit down and he, the first thing he says is, do you know every one of these coaches names? I was like, looking around, he started pointing. He's like, do you know the defensive backs coach's name? I was like, no, I'm sorry. He's like, do you know the offensive coordinator's name? It's like, nope, I'm sorry. And he went through every single coach. I was like, nope, nope, I'm sorry. Nope, I'm sorry. Oh, that's Vinny Magri. I know Vinny Magri. <laughs> oh, nope, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. And it was like one of those, it was that wake up moment where it was like, holy shit, I've been working my ass off to train for these drills, for the one-on-ones to get all this stuff down and I forgot to look at the coaching rosters. So all I did was I focused for, well, as soon as I walked out of that, I looked up at everybody's coaching roster for the next, uh, for the next interviews. I was like, well, oh, this is what I got to learn, but I'll never forget the next questions after that was, he was like, he was like, Hey, um, cat or dog, car or Jeep, red or blue. And he did probably about 30 of those questions. I remember sitting there thinking like, am I getting these right? Am I getting these wrong? Like what the hell is going on? And I don't know if they were looking to see if I was getting flustered or whatnot, or if there's actually like a psychological thing that follows this. But I remember sitting there going, well, I walked out of that interview. I'm like, man, I'm not getting drafted by Montreal. I know that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I do wonder sometimes whether or not they go to do google.com and type in like personality quiz. And then it's, they're asking you questions that are supposed to represent, you know, what you're about in those moments. And you don't even know that they're being asked of you in that spot, which is, is kind of a funny dynamic to be in. But I also love the idea of you looking up every coach's name in Saskatchewan. You go and sit down for an interview with the riders. They finish their interview. They haven't asked you about the coaching staff. And you're like, don't you want to know all of the coaches on your own staff? And they're like, yeah. no, actually we don't. And you're like, complete waste of time. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly what it was. And, you know, you kind of understood who was looking at to, to draft you. I think I ended up getting drafted in the sixth round. So I was kind of like a second thought, you know what I mean? But you kind of understand who's actually looking to draft you and who just was like, ah, we're interviewing every single player here. So we'll just either ask them ridiculous questions or we'll just fly through this and get it done. Like I remember, um, Cavis Reed saying, are you a good tackler? I was like, yeah, I think so. He's like, how do I know? 
I was like, uh, do you want me to tackle you right now? <laughs> what do we, what, what should we be doing here? And I, as soon as I left that, I was like, yeah, he doesn't really know anything about me and I'm not getting drafted by them. That's fine. <laughs> and so you can kind of tell like, you know, the teams that were going to draft you were having real personal conversations, just trying to get into your background, whether it was, you know, what are your parents like? What kind of growing up did you do? And, and again, talking to some of these coaches after I've been playing for a while, it's, yeah, we just want to know if they're going to be a good fit, yeah. like mentality wise. It's nothing that we think we're going to get from these interviews other than, okay, does he have the right mentality? Like, is he thinking the right way about this? Is he competitive? And is he just going to be a good guy in the locker room or is he going to be a problem guy in the locker yeah. room? And really that's about it. So, you know, you kind of stress out about the interviews, but you realize really quick who's actually interested in you and who's just having you in there to, to talk and fill their time. Outside of Hamilton, who did you get the sense might have actually been interested in you? Because you mentioned two there of teams where you're like, they couldn't care less. <laughs> yeah, uh, Toronto had a little bit of interest because I remember going to a, as the, and this is the other absolutely wild thing about at least when I was coming out eight, you know, eons ago, but I had a, after the combine, there was a free agent workout with Toronto and they used to have the draft guys come back out, but they would also have free agents come back out and they would run it like a combine 40 indie drills, one-on-ones, all that kind of stuff. And I remember going through the interview process with Toronto and they were just kind of having regular conversation. And then at those workouts is when they came back up to me to follow up and were like, Hey, we really liked your conversations that we had with you, blah, blah, blah. So then for them going into draft time, I was like, Oh, well, they could be a landing spot too. Um, and then it was BC had a little bit, but I, not too much from that point on. So, like I said, I was a late round pickup. So I think guys were, you know, kind of overlooking me and if he's there, he's there. If not, he's not. Yeah, I, I went to a, one of those Argos free agency camps as well, and it was just as an arm. Like, it wasn't for any purpose other than they, they needed somebody to throw, and I got asked, like, the day of. So I ended up going, and I'll never forget warming up with Miles Gibbon, who was the York quarterback at the time. And he was, oh, I yeah. think I think he was in the draft that year, and we were warming up and throwing back and forth, getting our shoulders loose because we're the two quarterbacks. And then I think it was Scott Milanovich walked over to him and said, Here's the thing. I like you. I like you as a receiver. And without even hesitating, I'll never forget this because I always love talking about Canadian quarterbacks and are they being given fair opportunities and do they always have to become a receiver when I, without even hesitating, Miles Gibbon reached into his back pocket, tucked into his shorts and pulled out gloves. He looked straight, <laughs> looked straight at me and he goes, saw that one coming and just like <laughs> strapped his gloves on. And I was like, damn, if that doesn't tell you about the Canadian quarterbacks getting real opportunities over the last decade, I don't know what does where a guy's an athlete and it's, a, it's counted against him, not for him, which is interesting this year with Trey Ford going into the national combine where it's like mm-hmm. one of the best athletes, if not the best we've seen at that position, that's Canadian born and played at U sports. It, it better be counted for him. Like, I think it's going to be this time, but yeah, it's that, that different story for sure. Well, Sinopoli was the one that ultimately screwed that up for every quarterback coming out because, you know, he was a fantastic quarterback and all of a sudden, boom, put him in a receiver. Whoa, this guy is a CFL <laughs> talent, a receiver. Every quarterback can do this. I and mean, we're not, and you know, the ratio thing and uh, it just kind of screws him over. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see, especially once Trey tests, mm-hmm. 
to see how teams react with that. You know what I mean? Like, I absolutely think he should get a shot at quarterback. And I absolutely, like, that's his, I remember talking with Quinlan about this, Kyle Quinlan, and, you know, came off and one of and obviously biased, but one of the best quarterbacks I've seen in U sports CIS at the time. And he was getting asked to be a receiver. And he's like, I've never played receiver. I, I, I'm not going to play receiver. I'm a quarterback. I've never played receiver. This is what I know. Quarterback. You know, he had his shot at Montreal and stuff like that, but I feel Trey is, is the same way, right? Like I, this is what I'm good at. This is what has gotten me to this point. And it'll be interesting to see how they take that because once he tests, I mean, you talk about my testing numbers and his compare those after. And (laughs) (laughs) He'll be like, Oh, you could do exactly what Mike did for 10 years longer go ahead oh, that's great that's <laughs> great uh this is great stuff mike as always uh give him a good follow on twitter at daily news eight is where you can find him i'm at tsn underscore marsh at cf perspective is where you can find all sorts of analysis wade and connor are going to be uh at the combine with me uh on the live stream we're going to be doing some podcasts we're going to be wandering around doing some player interviews and all that good stuff and uh we're excited to come back next week uh mike and i here on the show we're going to talk about big name quarterbacks coming north to the Canadian Football League because Mike has played with some, he's played against some, uh, and he happened to play against one whose nickname is the sport with which he played and had a very interesting night in Quebec, uh, having a couple of interceptions and being able to play against uh, Johnny Manziel. So we're going to dive into the Manziel game uh, coming up uh, for you here on the Daily News next week. I also feel like naming this podcast Blame Sinopoly. I feel like that would just be a, a, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a great, yeah, I like that. Yeah. A great, great representation of this one to wrap things up. But Mike, thank you, man. Appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to chatting again next week. See you guys next week.